and welcome to the Glacian Musical Podcast, the very confused podcast that doesn't know what the hell it's doing, but it's going to keep doing it anyway. This week, I am joined with uh, Kikachu Chaffees of Ghost Cult Magazine. How are you doing today, Keefy? Pika! No, no, Kikachu. Oh, okay, Kikapoo? Sure, we'll go with that. Okay. Kikapoo is the fictional town that Jables was from in uh, the old uh, Tenacious D and the Pick of Destiny. So, anyway. I only saw that one time. I don't remember it. It was it's really funny. It holds up. Uh, how are you, my friend? How are you doing? I am doing really well. It has been uh, one of the things I have been dealing with for a long time because we haven't had one. I feel like we probably should have a bit of a um, uh, a pandemic check-in. And um, I live in Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, as everybody knows, where St. Louis, Missouri is pretty darn safe in terms of COVID. We have the lowest rolling numbers in the entire state, St. Louis City, not St. Louis County. Rural Missouri is a dumpster fire at best on a good day. It's three dumpster fires right now. And going through, you know, going through some anxiety with the whole thing, but went to a concert, uh, which went to a concert, which everybody heard about that listens to this last week, saw the Black Crows and had a pretty awful, awful experience with an anti-mask, anti-vaxxer. So I say, yeah, I say this as a friend, as somebody who cares and as somebody who will profit by it as well, profit, not money, but, you know, long, longer life, you know, live long and prosper kind of, kind of, kind of profit, get the vaccine. I got it. I'm going to get another dose because I got the Johnson and Johnson, which is a one dose. I'm going to get another booster after I talk to my doctor to make sure that's okay. But that being said, uh, having a pretty good day. Um, Work is, is going well. I, after I lost my job last year, I lucked into a very nice situation and I'm finally comfortable there. It took a long time. And my wife and I went out to dinner at St. Louis's, one of St. Louis's best kept secrets. It's called the best steakhouse. I had uh, T-bone steak, uh, baked potato, and a side salad, all for the princely sum of $16. That sounds insanely good for an expensive uh, cost. That same meal would be about $90 here in San Francisco. You can get it for $90 too, but not at Best Steakhouse. Best Steakhouse is a gem in mid-city, in midtown St. Louis City. Uh, it's cafeteria style. So you walk in there's, and they shout next. And then you shout back what you want. And then when you get up there, they hand it to you. Okay. Even in the pandemic, that is interesting. But uh, hey, yeah, good times. When you come to town, I'll take you. I would love to go. Uh, what did the missus have? The same or something else? No, my wife does not like uh, steak at all. She doesn't like big ch- She'll eat Philly cheesesteaks. She doesn't like big chunks of meat. So she always gets a chicken Monterey sandwich, which I don't give two craps what she gets there because I get to go there. That's it. Okay. All righty. Um, yeah. Uh, again, I'm sorry about your experience. I hope the Black Crows were good. I saw some video of them at their first show and it looked really good. They sounded really good. They looked really into it. So always kind of a concern with the brothers, how they're vibing. Unfortunately, when you're in a band with your sibling, but they are rejuvenated by being back together and they both seem very spirited and into it and sound, sounded good. And uh, yeah, I, I was saying this not too long, you know, on one of these a few weeks ago, I went to my first show two weeks ago. I had a couple of false starts where I was trying to go to a show that didn't work out. Uh, I went because it was a a show in my neighborhood 
that I could, if I got freaked out or upset, I could run home and cry. Um, San Francisco, as of this week, is officially back on official mandated mass indoors. People are still kind of whatever, but you walk around the city and people are still very much masking up. And we are the most vaccinated place in the country. I still think everybody should wear their mask and wash their hands visually and not put their fingers in their mouth and be respectful of human space. Uh, I had a guy come into my apartment uh, to do some work in my, my new place. And uh, he came in and was masked up, gloved up, kept the distance, you know, kind of gestured with his body that he was coming toward me to go around me. I backed up, you know, like human cues. You know, we forget about interpersonal communication that's not verbal, nonverbal communication, like body motions and stuff, like how to read people. So it was not awkward. <laughs> I have a <laughs> tiny place. There's no way to escape. So I was really glad he was respectful. The show was very enjoyable. Ex Mortis is terrific live. They played a cover oh, love of Boston. Them. Love they them. played a cover of Boston's foreplay, at least the intro, including the organ part on guitar, which is fantastic. You know, but, real quick, real quick. Ex Mortis is the band that I always reference in terms of the amazing classically inspired shredding. And I can never remember their name when I do it. Yeah, Chase is their lead guitarist. He's also a war bringer. And uh Fantastic man, fantastic guys. Open for Motorhead on Motorhead's last. Yes, year. yes, that's how good a band they are. They open for Motorhead, and um, you know it was packed. It is one of the more smaller venues for music in San Francisco. DNA Lounge, you see it often on tours. Uh, my one of my favorites, Flotsam and Jetsam, is playing there very soon, as is Year of the Cobra, but. Those are both weeknights. I have to really pick and choose my spots right now. If I can go on a weeknight because I'm up early for work, literally early for work, very early. But, um, you know, no masks except me and a couple of guys from Death Angel hanging out with their masks on. They obviously had a huge life-threatening scare in their band, so they were going to wear masks. Uh, a lot of people not masking up, moshing, crowd surfing. I mean, I love the vibe. I love to see I, I was going to cry. I got emotional just hearing music live and seeing a band rock out. And it was moving. I mean that truly moving, but also I was like, okay, no one here gives a fuck about this virus. And I was like, I gotta be very ginger. Like I, my body wants to go to these things. I have a friend invite me to go to Psycho Las Vegas. They have a suite already. I could just get a ticket and go at this point and go for three of the four days. Uh, not sure I'm ready for it. I am trying, I, I might, yeah. I'm not ready to go back to concerts after what I dealt with. Right, you know, unfortunately. We are we are under mask order here in the city. And I think the county, St. Louis City and County are not the same entity. I live in like I live in the county of St. Louis City. We left the county in 1976. So that's why I always separate 18, excuse me, 1876. That's why I always separate the two. City and county are different here. And you know. I, I am not as worried about the virus right now. I trust the vaccine. I also am going to follow the rules as they're, they're, they're put up. And, you know, I, I'm not going to deal with, I, I just don't want to deal with that anymore. And the people, you know, it, it was a, a half capacity concert. It was at the, the 20,000 seater and people were coming up right next to us in general, general admission. And it's like, I, you know, blowing pot smoke through our chairs. And it's like, what the hell? Come on. Yeah, so that's we, not that great. You know, we we had, do you have the kid, right? The kid. No, no, we didn't have the kid with oh, us. Oh, okay. 
Well, I'm sorry that happened. That really sucks. I will I will say that I think the shows I'm going to do, there are a few. Like I said, I was considering Black Dahlia Murder on my birthday in Berkeley at a big theater. So, like, you know, that's going to be handled by hopefully a little better. Megadeth, if it happens, is at an amphitheater. So outdoors, in seats, still dealing with the drama people, including the train in and out, which I have to consider. Because I have yet to be on a crowded New York City-style train yet. And the trains in California don't get that crowded, but it is the only way in and out of that venue except a car, which I don't have, I don't drive. And then I might get approved for Bottle Rock, which is a sort of fancy food and wine festival that also has Stevie Nicks, Guns N' Roses, and Food Fighters. But that's going to be a lot of people if I get approved to go cover it. And then, you know, after that, there's like club shows and Aftershock in October, um, which again, I would love to go to but it's going to be a throng of people. So I have to consider my feelings and I'm going to continue to wear my mask. I've been vaccinated twice. I was relieved when I got the second shot. Everybody should do this. If you want your shows back, if you want your life back, it's not about your freedom. It's about everybody's personal safety and well-being. These things, germs, and really quick, we'll end on this. Germs and viruses continue to mutate and spread. This is not uncommon. This has always happened. But the fact that we didn't get rid of it in the first place and achieve air quotes, herd immunity the correct way, that's why we're suffering so bad right now. Because people were like, my freedoms, and I don't want it. Or there was a lot of misinformation and people were told, like, if you get it, you don't have to get the shot, which is not true. If you had it, you definitely still need to get the shot. This other variant is very strong. Agreed. And again, Mm -hmm. I have it. The I have the vaccine. My wife has the vaccine. And supposedly in October, they're going to have it for kids and my kid will get the vaccine. I had the I had the Pfizer. I had it twice. Uh, Minimal side effects. uh, The second time my arm hurt. That was it. I really had the Johnson and Johnson kicked my ass. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. Well, on top of everything, I'm hypoglycemic and I skipped lunch. Cause I had an, an appointment at 12 and everybody, they said, don't get there. Don't get there more than 15 minutes early. So of course, every motherfucker was there an hour and a half early, which right. made the line literally a mile long. It wrapped around the entire campus of St. Louis community college at forest park, where I went to school for a couple of, couple of semesters. And of course, when I got in there, there was no line because everybody, every, anyway, but you know, I will always, you know, the appeal to authority, logical fallacy exists, but you know what? I understand that I don't know nearly as much as the people that are working on this. Also and true. I've never and, gotten polio. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Listen, my my grandmother, here's a good story. And we can, you know, again, we're not trying to be a very political podcast. I am very political. Nick has his feelings, but he's not as political, I think, outwardly as I am. You're a much I nicer, be, better, but that's better person than I am. I understand why. Um, but I was going to say, you know, my grandmother was in the, you know, the greatest generation, the World War I generation. She was born in 1906, came over in a, to a, on a steamship as a three-month-old on a boat. And as she famously used to say, it was better in the old country, although she definitely does not remember the old country. Or rest in peace, she did not remember the old country. But she would <laughs> swear everything was better back there. You were not even there. You were a baby. You don't remember anything. Um, but she had TB and a pretty bad bout with it and nearly died. And, and in her lifetime, they got a vaccine for TB. Tuberculosis was killing motherfuckers, killing swaths of people, killing them. It was infectious as fuck. 
You would go, nurses would be treating people with it and just die, just faint and die from it. So like, that's how contagious this shit was. So science and medicine, I understand everybody's hesitation because as my favorite quote from the X-Files go, why do you believe in these, you know, far flung, hard to prove things if there, you know, if there's evidence, because all the evidence to the contrary is not a hundred percent convincing. So I, I'm all about suspicions and conspiracy theories and people who don't trust the science, but you've got to trust the science in this case, because vaccines have been around forever. This thing was actually tested very well. I work in pharmaceuticals in marketing for them. And I can tell you how this thing was definitely is stop being misinformed. Go get some help. Anyway, we probably lost all our listeners. So you may want to check this all out. Real quick, where should we start? Should we start James with... Hetfield does not want to get the vaccine. That dude has been vaccinated like a hundred thousand oh. times. Okay, moving on, moving on. Yeah. Anyway, let's. I'll I'll do our if you like. I will do our recap of our yeah. Last go ahead. Three episodes. Um, we started again. This is Metallica in the great nineties. Um, we picked a band and the decade. Uh, not their most important musical output decade, but their most important decade in terms of impact. Um, you can make an argument that the you know the 80s could not, you know, 90s can't happen without the 80s, but we just wanted to focus on the 1990s Metallica. And so I think it's really interesting. We, we, uh, we gave a little backstory on the history. Then we dove into the 90s pre-Black Album, Black Album, the launch and release of the Black Album, the hype and legitimate lived up to hype of them catapulting to become the biggest band in the world. They go on tour with Guns N' Roses. They do live shit binge and purge, which I believe was a mea culpa to fans um, for, the, for the people who didn't like the Black Album. They headline Woodstock 94. At that point, they are the biggest band in the planet, bar none, uh, other than pop stars. They are the biggest band. Um, they do Load and Reload, which we, did, you know, discussed at length the merits and dismerits of the two albums. Demerits. Merits demerits. and demerits. Sorry. The dem- I want to dismerit this, but like we'll demerit it. <laughs> we can disbar um, it. We can disbar it. We can discuss it, discourse it. But anyway, um, you know, it's, it's at this point, what can't they do was a question. Like what can that, what can't they do? So just like Binge and Purge, I think was a thank you to fans. The next thing that people wanted, they like not only did they want to do it, it was it was a request from fans. One of the most beloved releases in Metallica history is the 598 Garage Day Re-Revisited EP or Garage Day Re-Revisited the 598 EP. Metallica covers have AKA been AKA Metallica Garage Days Re-Revisited the 998 CD. That also true. And then... Yes. And so, you know, I had both. Co- I had both. Cover- covers are always a part of who they were. As Dave Mustaine likes to say, when they first started with McGovney and him, they would play covers in their sets of songs people didn't know and tell people they wrote them because their friends didn't know. And le- except for like Gary Holt, nobody in the Bay Area knew some of these obscure ass bands. And even Mustaine would say like, oh, they would they would get like the Black Sabbath album before everybody else and immediately learn the song and go play it at a house party. And they did that. No, apparently nobody knows most of these bands now. <laughs> it's true. And we're talking about your Witchfinder Generals, your Diamond Heads, your Angel Witches, your Ravens. Tiger of Pantang. Um, Tiger of Holocaust. Pantang. Holocaust. 
Yes, Holocaust, dude. And so, yeah, so they, they always had covers. They released several covers in conjunction with the singles of Ride the Lightning, including Am I Evil, which has been a staple ever since. Uh, people just assume it's their song. It is a Diamond Head song. Um, probably their, one of their biggest influences beside the obvious ones and the band they have mercilessly pirated and stolen from. By the way, I love your Bushi shirt. I just want to say that. Oh, thank you. Um, I, know, I, um, I know this is a podcast and no one can see it, but it is awesome. Yeah, I'm wearing my Barishi Old Smoke t-shirt when um, when uh, the album was stolen off my porch. The, the band sent me a free copy of the album because they saw my complaints on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And to thank them for that, I bought a shirt. They are wonderful. They are wonderful Wonderful people. band and wonderful people. I had a great conversation with the guitar player, God, forever yes. ago. I think they were opening for Felix Martin on that tour. I saw that tour. And uh, we we had a long conversation about death and how neither one of us likes death. No, fuck that. Fuck death. What do we say to death? To death, not today. Um, <laughs> so covers are always been a part of Metallica life. Um, they uh, one of the first songs I ever learned in metal, like actual thrash metal on the on an instrument was one of the things that I used to do is jam the song for Prince. Once again, I will shout out my my hetero life mate and dearest friend, Curtis Dunlap, who got me into Metallica. We used to jam that riff, that Prince riff. Um, and so that was the B-side to one. I remember the first time I heard that. I can tell you where I was. I was in the, the parking lot at uh, my high school where we would go smoke, where the belief was it was okay to smoke in that, that parking lot. It wasn't, but nobody ever went there to stop us. And my friend had... The B-side had the single for one. This is back in 1993, 92 or two, 92 or 93. I'm like, what the hell is this? Uh, let's also discuss really briefly, quickly touch over before we delve into Garage Inc. Why they did it. Uh, Bread Fan and So What, show openers and closers both. Uh, also Green Hell and Last Caress, not the most popular Misfit songs, but they became the most popular Misfit songs help resuscitate the band interest in the band i know a lot and it's very fashionable to have misfits everything now and to say you love the misfits you almost could not know who they were in the except for the last 20 years people didn't Completely. barely knew who they were they were a cult band even the punk fans they were by reputation one of the greats but like they really were not their music wasn't out there until later and metallica helped that happen actually as a truth they, and, um, they were less famous then than Mayhem was with Dead in America right. at that that's time. That's insane. That's insane. Um, yeah, no, barely anyone knew who Mayhem was. Um, and exactly. Especially the Dead, especially in that at first era. But so you um, think about that, and this is a band with Glenn Danzig. The yes. only in my, in my high school, only the skaters knew who the hell they were. And so, really, even Danzig's success with Sam Hain and later Danzig solo did not elevate the misfits no. at all. I know no. people think it did. It didn't. Because he shunned all that. Oh, the band is cool, but I don't want to talk about that. Like, that's how he was very dismissive of his own over, which I respect, man. I respect that about him. He really didn't. He could have leaned on it forever, and he really didn't want to. Um, and then they came back. We'll talk about Michael Graves because he's a douche. But um, fuck the Proud Boys. Anyway, so I have no fans left after this. I'm sorry. Um <laughs> So covers are always a part of their way of life. And of course, let's not forget 
Stone Cold Crazy, which they ended up getting a Grammy nomination for, and they lost the Grammy to Jethro Tull. No, th- again? No, the first. So they what was they they lost the no Grammy the first one was for one wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yes, but they actually were nominated for so called crazy for metal. That was the first year there was a metal nomination. We can look it up another time, but it's there. They they did kind of they they I think they won for the cover, but they lost for one, which is un- insane. Uh, Jethro Tull should not be considered a metal band, great progressive rock band. Yeah, they 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 showed them winning the Grammy for Stone Cold Crazy while they were in the studio. Yes. On year and a half. They're like, look, yes. we won. I'll be damned. Because yes. they didn't go. We, and also just because this is, you know, Metallica, everything, Black Album 30, all these things are happening. James' birthday was this week. The 30th anniversary of, you know, not 30, but 28th anniversary of Year and Out Life was this week or last week. So, like, we've been doing these podcasts right around the whole buzz of Metallica. Oh, we Metallica. nailed it. On accident. So we, really, we definitely an accident. We nailed it. And next will be Maiden. And so we'll have maybe some Maiden singles to talk about while we're talk, discussing some classic Maiden. Um, so load and reload. They tour, they tour, they tour. They headline stadiums in America. It's unbelievable that, uh, you know, that Summer Sanitarium tour in 97. And, oh, yeah. Were those the ones at the racetracks? Yep. And football they, they played. They played a racetrack here. And I remember hearing about that. You know, and I, that was because I saw I saw them on. No, it wasn't 97. 97 was the was uh, the load tour. 98, 99 was. Is that right? Because Reload came out in 98. Man, 98 was a big year for them. Reload is technically 97. 97. That's right. I apologize. Yeah. So it's OK. We're, we're, we're running our way up the ladder. Well, let's think about the 90s for a second before we, we we dig a little bit. So they released the Black Album in 91. They released Live Shit in 93. They released Load in 96. Reload in 97. Garage Inc. in 98. Cunning Stunts in 98. And S&M in 99. That's seven releases. And one of those is a box set. And technically, I Disappear was leaked at the end of the 90s, but we'll talk about that last. Um, Do we have to? um, We don't, but we should mention it a little. Um, We mentioned Anyway, so we just did. And so... They, you know, covers have always been a big thing for them. They played live. Every show I've ever seen them do, they've done at least one cover almost every time. And um, and some of them are great, right? Let's just legitimately, Bread oh, fans, completely. for Budgie is a very underrated proto-heavy metal band. Bread fans, the cover of Bread fan is phenomenal to the point like the Red Hot Chili Peppers ripped off Bread fan for one of their original songs in the 90s, Warped. If you go listen to the opening, Flea literally stole the Bread fan riff on the base. Uh, and that's fine. Flea can steal whatever he wants. He flees Flea. Um, but, you know, so just very interesting stuff. So they get to, they go right from Paul retouring me right into the studio to record what was to be one, one side of brand new covers. They were going to, they did go in and compile and remix and remaster all their previous covers, which is something fans wanted for a long time. Correct. And so I remember and, reading in an interview with Kirk in like 97 or 98 saying, Hey, you know, all this stuff is out of print. We could never get I me. Mean, I could never get a copy of bread fan. I no longer had my cassette tape copy of kill them all. So I lost blitzkrieg and am I evil? Cause I don't right. know that those were ever on CD on the, the extra CDs. European and vinyl. It, it was on my cassette tape. My first cassette tape. Yeah. It had both of them. 
Yeah, and Jump in the Fire, the single has Emma Evil on it. Does it? Yeah, it did. The original pressing. Um, I don't think you could get it today, but maybe you could. I don't know. I had Probably a cassette tape money. copy of Jump in the Fire <laughs> for a time. It had uh, uh, side A was Jump in the Fire, side B was um, Phantom Lord and Metal Militia, I think, live. Cool. Very cool. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, so they go in. And they go record these songs that they had plan- apparently picked, and they're very. The, if you in in the whole of the, the the double album, they definitely represent a lot of their influences, big and small, and they range from hardcore punk to progressive rock to classic butt rock, classic rock, radio rock, AOR radio rock, seventies rock, to heavy metal, power metal. A little bit of thrash metal, not that much. I would have expected them to do some more metal covers, on the blatantly metal covers. They definitely curated this incredible like history that they the, have to the relationship the set to covers. Was so varied. The only way it could have been any weirder is if they had done an L seven cover. Yeah, they didn't do anything. Well, I mean, I, I think there are some covers on here that are just patently odd, but right. they're all they all make sense especially following Load and Reload. So I feel yeah, like Garaging is really an apology for Load and Reload because that's how Lars thinks, I think. And um, I, I don't do see you... it that way, but it doesn't matter. Okay, My opinion doesn't good. matter on that. So do you want to do the track by track or do you just want to talk about some general feelings about Garaging? Let's, let's, let me, okay, let's read off of the, the originals. Let's start there. Because, you know, we can do let, let's do a little short bit of track by track so you got free speech for the dumb discharge that is just pure hardcore punk and that's just amazing stuff uh, good stuff i agree uh it's electric love that one i've never heard that diamond head song uh um, yeah laura's named his podcast after that song that's how much he loves that nice. yeah his, his uh, podcast for apple music is it's electric podcast cool. uh sabra cadabra um I, on my anniversary every year, I actually post that, uh, the Metallica version of that song because it's singing about, you know, being, or is that, no, that's this, it's electric, I'm sorry. It's electric is the one I post. When I'm making love with that woman and out of my mind, I can't, yeah, that one. I I think technically that is Sabbath the Death, but yes. Yeah, it's electric is like about rocking out. And and Sabbath the Death is like a woman put a love spell yeah that one that one and, and it's got a little over... bit of a national acrobat in there too and yeah. it's kind of the era of sabbath that people don't always talk about right it's not it's the mid-era when they're right. poked up pretty bad and they and still wrote some companion songs i post that song every i've posted that song every year anniversary we just we celebrated uh let me think i gotta do math now last we're gonna just celebrate 12 years this year my wife has never listened to it and never gotten it so maybe next year uh, nice turn work. the page. I am not a big Bob Seger fan, but this cover actually made me willing to purchase for the princely sum of $5 uh, Silver Bullet Live because the Bob Seger version is on that. Silver Bullet Live is an album we should have talked about in that live album thing a couple of weeks ago. I haven't heard it yet. Great. I've had it for like a month and a half and I haven't spun I've cleaned it. I've changed out the inserts and I haven't spun it because it's See, it's one Seger's of those stupid great. one, four, two, three pressings. I hate yeah, those. Seeger is like the, is, is, is really underrated actually. I know that people only know old time rock and roll because of 
risky business, but mm. he is a great songwriter. And Turn the Page is great. And I want to shout out the video to Turn the Page, which I believe Turn the Page was the very first single from. Yes, Karate. yes, it was. And uh, features the former adult actress Ginger Lynn. That's who that <clears throat> and, was. Uh, that's Ginger Lynn. I didn't know that. And it is like you understand why they covered that song. It literally was like it, it like their life. Metallica's completely life was their life. And it's a beautifully done video. And maybe my favorite, maybe one of my favorite Metallica, maybe not the favorite Metallica video, but one of my favorite Metallica. It's one of my absolute favorite Metallica songs. I mean, I I love that. And I want to give an I want to point out Kirk Hammett recreating the sax solo on the guitar. Yes, chilling, just chilling. Good stuff. Good stuff. And I don't think Kirk gets enough praise for when he really nails it, because we're talking about a guy that can walk up and go, "Oh, there's the album. There you go. I've done all the lead work. Have a great day." And let's I see. So. Uh, moving forward, Die, Die, My Darling by the Misfits. Oh, my God. Better than Last Caress by far. It is an incredible song. Uh, my, my other hetero life mate has the tattoo of the artwork on his body. I can't separate my nostalgia for that song, for, for Last Caress. And, and, and that's why yeah. I, can't, I, I can't answer that. I can't say that. When okay. we get to Last Caress, Green Hell, remind me I have a story. Um, okay, good. Uh, so this next is a great moving, cover. I'm sorry? It is a great cover. Uh, so next we move into Lover Man, which I could lose that one so hard. I would so have much I, rather had a Tom Waits track than that one. I, I don't know why he hasn't, you know, he's done a Tom Waits at some of those cover concerts that they've done. Uh, so Lover Man, when you listen to in the guise of right after Load and Reload, Lover Man makes a lot of sense for James. Agreed. He loves Nick Cave and Nick Cave is a genius. I don't love this song, but in this in this kind of space, it kind of, the weirdness is okay because it's just kind of like here's all our influences, and that's one of his influences, especially well, that especially at that time because at that time he's writing personal lyrics, but he's writing them metaphorically. Rather, he, he's finally for the first time in his career writing lyrics that aren't. This is the message. Yeah. Yeah. Whether or not you think that's a good thing or not, that's up for debate. Uh, then we get into the best song in the entire set, if you ask me, uh, the Merciful Fate medley. And Merciful Fate was one of the very first underground bands I ever got into. Uh, my cousin Alex, whom I love dearly, uh, introduced to them to me in 1992. Uh, King Diamond, Merciful Fate, and... But I mean, this this song makes me sad because you listen, like when I listen to the King Diamond versions where he's singing on top of this, it's just like, holy hell, please put King Diamond in your band. James, it doesn't sing as well as he used to. The King is fine. Let's just, can we just do this? Can we just have one album or can we just have one album with Bob Rock producing Merciful Fate? or something, anything, because that yeah. gives me this, this taste. It, it's, it's like meth. It's like a sh your first shot of meth, and it never gets better. But it could be better. We could have more of that. We could have more of that. I, I am we extremely don't. excited for a new King Diamond and new Marcel Fate record in 2021 and 2020. Probably 2022 for both of those, or 2022. I wish I was excited about the Fate version, and Merciful Fate is on my my very small list of my favorite bands I've never seen in any format. Sure. And 
but and I'll if they do if they tour, I will go because merciful fate. And yeah, they're gonna tour. In but the issue is it's the it's the worst lineup. But oh well, yeah. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that, unfortunately. Um, see now is excited. I love the merciful fate medley. I love Metallica medleys, and I think James actually doing his vocal thing on that medley and those things and he did some really cool doubling and harmonies because you can't do he can't do king no one just can can't. no pat no one benatar, can, but, pat benatar could and that's it i mean ripper ripper owen could do, ripper owens could do it but nobody else or maybe stu block yeah they could um but see as excited as you are about merciful fate that's how excited i am to talk about blue oyster cult fair enough i uh, i love their version of this song i this like astronomy but I like the Blue Oyster Cult version. Yeah, see, I see. To me, Blue Oyster Cult is one of those bands. Just like I, I have a Jones about Thin Lizzy, where they are almost to the level of Zeppelin and Sabbath to me. Almost. I am from New York. Blue Oyster Cult is from Long Island, so I was very exposed to them. They are geniuses to me, straddling progressive rock and classic rock the same way. That's I saw Austin them at a rip does in a few of the bands. That's awesome. I love ribs. Um, I don't. The cover. That's a shame. I went. Cover, I went because they were there. That's good. The cover of Astronomy is fucking brilliant. Everything about it. They played it great. James sang it great. It's some of his best singing on the on this uh, collection. Agreed. I think like really beautiful. The emotional range of his voice, and I, I think the James, when you look at the classic, and I, and this is because you go back to the classic albums. If you go through, you know, Kill 'Em All through Injustice for All. There is no growth. There is no change. His vocals in, he sings Fade to Black in the same voice he sings Ride the Lightning. Yes. He had, he had one voice. Lars told him to sing. Because if, if you listen to the demos, the, the, um, the No Life to Leather demos, which I have listened to, real quick, don't. Don't, don't listen to them. I have, many times. No, I mean, anybody who hasn't heard them. Don't do it. No, they are just terrible. James, because think about Tom Araya on Show No Mercy. Yeah. But and he's, you know, he's like, ah! all the time and he can't do it. But James is half as good as that and yeah. tries to go higher all the time. Yeah, he's, yelp- he's yelping up to notes that he shouldn't have been trying to do. But it's Correct. Okay. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have it. He's got to punch himself in the wang doodle. <laughs> And, and twist a twig, twist a twig and snap a berry in order to get there. And then at that point, you're warbling, you're not going to be able to hold the note, and he can't. He And, and the live renditions of those songs at that time are 30 times worse because he's drunk and trying to do it. And then you got Dave Mustaine talking on the mic because God only knows what the hell Dave Mustaine needs to say at that moment in time. Metallica love song, that's what he said. I swear to God, it happened. And where was I? Where was I? Oh, yeah. So... Because James could not sing, call thing what it is, on the classic records, the best records, and you know the the uneducated fan, you know the the normal fan, the unwashed masses fan. I'm teasing, is he couldn't sing. So when he gets to the point when he can sing, those albums aren't loved as much. And I think it's it his emotional range is not taken ever taken into context because of that. Sorry, I went crazy there. I apologize. That's fair. No, I mean, like, I'm back all of that. It kind of piggybacks off what we discussed for Reload and Load. Like, he really came into his own as the finest singer of this generation. 
the most copied singer of this generation, most copied guitarist and songwriter in metal history, uh, except for Iomi on guitar. But he's certainly, you can make a case that the last 30 years have been, or 35 years have been all James being copied all the time by the best bands there is. Um, Agreed. You make okay, it moving on. So we, then we get into Whiskey in the Jar. Now, I love this song. The video is kind of weird. But you know what? Everything everything Metallica did from 1995 onward was weird, so it's fine. It's weird for a long time. Yeah, I don't... This is one of my least favorite Thin Lizzy songs. It is a good song. Um, I'm glad they made money for Thin Lizzy, who deserves all the money in the world, um, and, and Philo's family. But um, not my favorite song. Kind of makes me sad that this is the song that people remember to me. If you weren't an old school fan and you don't know these old school bands and you don't remember the earlier covers that were remastered on side two, this is the song because MTV jammed this up your ass. They did. They really fan, did. They really played this every second they could. The house party in Brooklyn, the hipsters oh, didn't make a lot of sense. Think about the time. This is when Ellen comes out. This is when uh, TRL. Marcy... TR, this is when Marcy on uh, Married with Children comes out. And, you know, all of a sudden it becomes trendy. Smack my bitch up. Okay. No, that was earlier. That was 1995. Okay. Um, but this is when, this this was the turning point in America to where it was no longer, oh my God, someone is gay. I mean, only as long as they were a woman. As Mark McKinney famously put it in the SNL sketch with uh, Cherry O'Terry, here at NBC, we fully support everyone's everyone's right to be a homosexual and have all their wonderful civil rights, except for that male homosexuality thing. And that's, so then all of a sudden you have the lesbian, the Metallica lesbian party. So of course they're going to jam that down everybody's throats. This is when they had that uh, college dorm room show. I, I look, I, I, my, my life mm-hmm. between uh, 19 and 25. The real world? No, no, no. It was a, it was a melodrama they created. Again, I watched way too much TV. My life between 18 to 25 was really sad. And I'm sorry that you have to hear me talk now, but, and like half the cast was gay and half the show was gay. So yeah, I I understand why they jammed that now. Now I I don't think Metallica has the agency to pick the cast of their music video, but like, yes, the the video, the video, yeah, they did. But the video in general is just an attempt to be cool and trendy. And I don't think it was like that calculated, but you know, I, I love everybody and everybody is cool and music is, should be a safe space for, um, anywho, sorry, I'm going way off on tirades today. So now moving on Um, to Tuesday's gone, where I'm going to call out James for body shaming, uh, uh, popper. I think he called, I think the fatso line is about Lars, not, John. Oh. Um, All right, fair enough. Then, well, I mean, he, he should not be uh, body shaming Lars uh, well, imaginarily. Lars needs to get body shamed. Tuesday's Gone is my favorite Linder Skinner song. Great and this song. cover is fucking amazing. And it really like, is. The, I know this was... Yeah, hang on, let me, let me make a point and then piggyback on a previous, on a previous point. During the, the... And I've referenced this probably before in this series... There was an uh, an interview Lars did in Rolling Stone called Married to Metal. That was the title. And 
they asked him, you know, whom do you see as your contemporaries at this point? One of the bands he mentioned was Thin Lizzy. And the response was, you know, well, Phil Lynott's dead. So who else? Oh, maybe Allison Chains. And who's on this track? So we got a Thin Lizzy track followed by Skinnerd, a Skinner track with Jerry Cantrell. Jerry Cantrell. But even, but even better than that, Pepper Keenan of Corrosion and Conformity and Dow is also on this track, sings lead vocals on a whole verse and is one of the main harmonists of, along with James and Jerry. Uh, Gary Rosenton is on the fucking track. He is? One of the lead guitarists of Litter Skinner. Yes, he is. Um, Lars and Jason. Uh, I believe also Les Claypool is on this track because last they, so, oh real quick uh Rossington is the last surviving member of Skinner. It seems like it, yeah. Um the Oh Artemis Pyle. Well, he's not in the band anymore, but yes. Um the Tuesday's Gone is the only song they did not go specifically into the studio to record. They had done it at a live thing and they got a soundboard recording of it and they liked it so much they stuck it on here, but it was not technically they didn't record a, it, it just radio. for this album. It was That's a radio, right, radio broadcast. Right. Which the cover's amazing. It's my favorite. Simple Man and Tuesday's Gone are like 1A and 1B for me, for Skinner. I know those are mellow tunes, but I love them both. And, it took um, me a long time to love Skinner because of, you know, daddy issues that I had. But, yeah. oh my God, the Ronnie Van Sant era of Leonard Skinner is, the only un- as, as I think you put it many times, it's unfuckwithable. It's unfuckwithable, as as was early Metallica. But yeah, for the Ronnie, record, there were no Confederate flags on anything they did back then. No, they were definitely sensitive about being Southerners, but they were. They also didn't like being lumped in with racists, so that's why you have. They were also very Sweet Home Alabama. They were also left wing, pretty left wing for guys from the Panhandle. They worked for George McGovern. Did they? Yes, they did because they like pot. Oh, that's cool. We like pot. Um, and this hodgepodge of fucking i mean discharge diamond head black sabbath bob seager misfits nick we missed one the more i see which i know i'm I'm leading up to it i'm sorry boc thin lizzy and skinner like those are random fucking bands and then back to discharge again because when metallica does something good they want to double down every time give the people what they want and both these songs are pretty similar. Uh, more I see is about double the length of free speech. Um, yeah, I, I didn't need the more I see because it really is yeah. like free speech. Yeah, it's just there. Um, and then there is a snippet. I don't know, you know, how big you are on Robin Trower, but Bridge of Size is heard at the very end. I, a, I, do, uh, I almost sort of, bought a Robin Trower record at one of the antique malls because it was a Japanese pressing. Mm-hmm. Pulled it out and it's warped to hell, so I didn't buy it. Nope. Uh, Bridge of Size is like a one-off classic rock, great songs. One of the great uh, Rolling Stones' greatest thousand songs you have to hear before you die or something. I've probably heard it on KC, but I just don't know it. Yeah. Trower's a great guitar player. Didn't really get the fame he deserved. That's definitely a Kirk stuck that in there on purpose. Like well, that's a dude uh, that he used to sign. Robin Trower was a big friend of Jimmy's, wasn't he? You were associates and, you know, very contemporary. Well, Kirk is, I mean, Jimmy is Kirk's, is the epitome of guitar playing yeah. in Kirk's mind. Mine too. For real. Yeah, for real. Um, maybe we will do the Hendrix 60s at some point. Um, that would be a weird series. So, yes. 
Uh, I so, um, anywho, um, let, let's, let's, before we go to side two, I think you want to take a break. So now we are headed off into the part of, uh, of this album that is really special for me. The, the Garage Days 598 EP or 998 CD, the Garage Days re-revisited as it were. That was, because when, when the CD started, I, I prided myself on finding these things that were hard to come by. I had a cassette copy of garage days i had a then i had a cd copy of garage days and this is in the early 90s and these things were already out of print think about that for a second a metallica anything was out of print in 1993 how is that even a thing i think because of the era of music in 93 to get the licensing on some of these things might have been hard holocaust is a cult band Budgie is a cult band that probably had, you know, somebody else own the rights to the music. Misfits, Diamond Head, Killing Joke is the one big band out of those bands that actually had a reputation and a huge, you know, and I'm sure they love Metallica for doing that cover. So that it's not like a, it wouldn't have been a problem. <clears throat> but, um, you know, it's, it's just weird to think about that there was a time. Well, and it, you know, when you look back at where music is, what what music is now, where music has come, and what music was then, the idea of this, that's, it's, it's hard to fathom, even though I lived through it. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was definitely a thing. And, you know, it this album, or the, so as, as the rest of this album goes, as I think most people know, it's, uh, Garage Days re-revisited, followed by Garage Days revisited, followed by B-sides and one-offs, followed by Motor Headache. And yes. the first track off of uh, Garage <clears throat> Days re-revisited was Helpless. And it was only a 25-minute album. This was recorded, what do they say, in six days. And most of it, uh, James's arm was broken. So God only knows how his stuff got on there. This is also the first time Kirk's rhythm work made it to an album. And also the first time anybody really heard Jason. And as, as we'll get into this a little bit later, his work on this album, phenomenal. And yeah. when you, if you listen to The Small Hours, The Weight, Helpless, not Last Caress Green Hell, but... Mm -hmm you listen to those songs and then you listen to justice and it's like, Hmm, what could have been? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, you know, I we don't mean we to take did... it there. I really don't. I mean, I love justice as is, but anyway, we never give Metallica enough uh, leeway to say that, like, you know, they were also, um, you know, they were also competing with Slayer at the height of Slayer and Anthrax and then Among the Living Era Anthrax and after Peace Cells, Megadeth. So like, you know, there was, all of them were trying to one-up each other, how complex, how heavy, how brutal, how difficult, how progressive could we get? Whatever we're doing, how do we do it most? So, you know, we don't ever consider True. that they were kind of not competing against themselves yet. Now they are. 
they were competing back then against the big four, the big three, and the big seven, you know. Um, so, yeah, Helpless is great. It's almost thrash metal from 1980, which is pretty incredible. Uh, Small Hours is an incredible song. Holocaust is a very unknown, un other than this song, people do not know that band. They were from Scotland and they were badass. I love Killing Joke. I have always been a Killing Joke fan. Wait is a post-punk song. And you got that like cool beat and the marchy marchy beat. And then you get James's choppy riff on it, whatever he could do with his broken arm or whatever. Maybe it's John Marshall. <laughs> I don't know. We'd have to look it up. But um I don't believe John Marshall was credited on it. I think I, I think the way they described it was when they were setting up the rehearsal space, James wouldn't work because his arm hurt. Okay. And then when they started recording, he was fine. Interesting. Um, well, you never know. Um, hey, could be true. Again, Budgie, it, it, Metallica put so many homes and college funds into these guys' pockets. Wait, Crash Course is a Budgie tune? Yeah. I didn't know that. With that incredible bass riff. Oh, my God, yes. And actually, Crash Course kind of sounds a little bit like it, Justice for All. Like it's the song in Justice for like has it that does. like falling dun, up dun, a stairs. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, you're right. Like, but but that main riff that's almost like progressive rock or progressive metal. That is a pretty progressive song. I mean, as progressive yeah. as one can be in three minutes and thirty seconds. Yeah, it's true. And then last caress, green hell. Like this I said, this is a well, fun one for yeah. me. Yeah, I mean, obviously, good, here's you know, your last, story, right? La it's a good story. It's not, but it's my story. Well, Last Caress was, you know, that was a big kind of big thing at that time because, you know, I killed your baby today and your mother and all that kind of business. And then, you know, Last Crash Green Hell, it, you know, it, it's, it's a good tune. It's, it's definitely edgy trying to, you know, get it off. But uh, when I was coming up in, uh, in Illinoisia, in rural southern middle of nowhere, smell the pig's crap when the wind blows east, not a joke, Illinois. Um, there was a radio station at uh, Lewis and Clark Community College in Alton, Illinois, which was very far away from me, and I could barely pick it up because it was community college radio. But on Thursdays, they had the mosh in six hours of metal, six to midnight. So, you know, that was that was my jam because it wasn't just, you know, Metallica and Justice for All, Metallica, Enter Sandman, and... Um, Iron Maiden and you know whatever it was like Morbid Angel it was Danzig it was Metallica the Prince call him up would you play Bread Fan by Metallica so I can tape it yes I will and on his birthday he was uh he played he's like if you can tell I'm gonna play the name it was no St. Patrick's Day I apologize St. Patrick's Day so any song that had the word green in the title you could call him up and get uh if you could tell him the title and artist of the band of the song you would get a copy of his band's Cottonmouth's album so he played last caress by metallica and then he threw a curveball and played green hell by the misfits that son of a bitch and i just found out as we were before what i was waiting for you to pop up that band still exists they're called Cottonmouth. Um, they play in Alton. They've got about 50 shows coming up. The guitar player's son is now the drummer. Hmm. And frankly, I never heard them because he never played his band on, on the show. 
That's interesting. Um, yeah, man, that dancing cover, they played it live. It was another one they would play live. And, uh, you know, the whole reason they loved Glenn and the Misfits was, was uh, Cliff. Cliff was a huge punk fan and a huge Misfits fan specifically. And uh, the rest of them discovered the Misfits because of Cliff. And that was kind of also there. You know, let's also consider that during the recording of this EP, they were grieving Cliff. So this is also like songs that Cliff liked probably, you know. Um, well, think about that. You know, they're wearing misfit shirts in the mid to late 80s when nobody few people knows had, unless I, you were in New York City. Yeah. And nobody knows who the hell these people are. Yeah. So you Gene know, Simmons did catch up on it, catch up on it though, four years later. Well, that's true. You talking about revenge? No, he wore a misfits t-shirt in uh, on the hot in the shade tour. Okay. And revenge, because you know, why let it go to waste? Right. He spent good money on that shirt. Fair Next, enough. we come to the only part of the record that features Cliff Burton. This is the B-side to the Creeping Death single in England, or in, in Europe, on the Music for Nations release. Mm. Uh, and they called it Garage Days Revisited. Right. Which is, a, which, which is, it, by the way, is a nod to Bob Dylan, right? Uh, a nod to whom now? Bob Dylan's, one of Bob Dylan's early records is... Uh, has the word revisited on it. I did not know that. That's what I, that that's like an like a, an ode, like a nod to that song, like yeah, to Bob Dylan. Of course, what I don't know about Bob Dylan, you could just about squeeze into the grand fucking canyon. Well, maybe we'll do the Bob Dylan 60s also. I would series. rather we'll not. See. I would I would rather <laughs> not. Let's not have to listen to him sing. No. So uh this starts off with Am I Evil, which the Metallica version of it, I never, I've only heard the Diamond Head version once or twice. And I, I got to say, I did like it, but it sounded like Manila Road covering Metallica. It is definitely, yeah, it, that is accurate. That is accurate. It's a great song. It's a great, great lyrics. You can see where Metallica got a lot of their 90s Metallica-ness from this song and this band. Um, you know, it is, it is a song that they you know, pirated and copied and covered and told people it was theirs. And uh, like I said, it, it is great. It was uh, probably one of the, the funnest things of my life to see the Big Four at Yankee Stadium and see them cover this as the closing song. Well, actually, the closing song at Yankee Stadium, they did this next to last, and I think they did Overkill, and I was wondering why Levy wasn't there. Missed opportunities. But um, it is great. It is great. Sorry, I'm distracted. My wife is putting covers on the office chair that I want to throw away. Moving on. Uh, where I'm sorry, I'm really discombobulated now because this makes no sense. Uh, Blitzkrieg. Blitzkrieg is a good tune. Um, I, I was really disappointed that my CD version of Kill 'Em All didn't have it because there was not a copy of it. There was not a there was not a version of it on the live shit box set which had like, you know, four versions of Am I Evil, even if it only was half of it. Um, you know, what's interesting about Blitzkrieg, it's one of the few songs where a band put a song on their album named after themselves, and it's not terrible. Like obviously Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath is great. Iron Maiden by Iron Maiden is great. But most of the time, for me growing up as a metalhead, when a band is, here's our song, we're, Iron Crucifix. And here's our song, Iron Crucifix. And it was almost always terrible. What about Big Country 
by Big Country from the album Big Country. Big Country, Big Country I make an exception for because geniuses. They were doing like a sort of Celtic Thin Lizzy thing and they were awesome. Fair enough. Okay, move, continue. In a big country, dreams move through you. Um, I think I paraphrased that incorrectly. But anyway, those are pretty good singles. Cliff is on those. Good covers. Very, you know, in, uh, intrinsic to the Metallica lore. I would definitely agree with that. It's those are just uh, I, amazing, amazing songs. And we move on to Bread Fan, which we've talked about a little bit. And I cannot speak highly enough of that particular song. And the first time I requested it, we played on the Mosh. Halfway through, it got to the you know the, the melodic arpeggio part, and I stopped recording on my cassette tape because I thought it was over. Then James comes back in later, and I'm like, ah, son of a bitch. Because I didn't know the song very well. Because it was out of print. Because it's budgie, and who knows that band except these guys who had tapes. Uh, Beastie Boys did. They did. If you read the the liner notes to Some Old Bullshit by the Beastie Boys, Kate Schellenbach shouts out budgie, in which Mike D says she's only shouting out budgie because the lead singer said she was hot. Well, she was hot. Um, that is true. Yes. So Brett Fan, they used to open some shows with it. They used to close some shows with it. I think they opened Woodstock 94 with Brett Fan. Holy crap. They did they um, opened that tour, the tour they did after that, the the Board of Shit Ain't Got No Album tour. I don't know what the official name of it was. Something like that. It might have been the official name, honestly, uh, at that time. But um, yeah, they opened that tour with Bread Fan. Great stuff. And lyrics oh, make no um, sense. My my copy, my uh, live at Webster Hall opens with Bread Fan. I'm just, I'm I'm sad that I never got to I didn't get to go to that show. Denied. Um, I'm glad I got a vinyl of it. That's pretty cool. Heartbreaking. I may have to get that on vinyl, but then it's just going to make me sad to listen to. Um, the Prince, before mentioned, uh, great riff, Diamond Head, another Diamond Head banger. Almost, I, for, again, almost the mash metal for 1980. I don't remember that song, even a little. Great riffs, great progressive uh, chromatic riff in there, and uh, simple enough beat for Lars to keep, and uh, shouty vocals. Is that a reference to, is that about Machiavelli, Machiavelli? I could be. It could be. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Uh, then we go on to Stone Cold Crazy, which that is a wonderful instance of a band taking a cover of a taking a song from a band in another complete other genre of music and turning it into their own style of music without even changing it even a little. Right. Well, I think they did it their way. Um, they played the they played the music in their style of playing but they didn't change anything. And if you, um, if you yeah. can do that and make it your own in that, in that way, that is a testament to just frankly how amazing they were at that moment. Fair enough. Fair I feel enough. like you're laughing um, at me. You're making faces. No, no, I love Queen and they did a great job. They played that cover at the Freddie Mercury uh, tribute concert later With on. With Iomi playing rhythm. With Iomi on rhythm because he's good friends with Brian. And uh, yeah, it is a great cover and they won the Grammy for it. It was their first Grammy award uh, for metal. And uh, Queen didn't need any help selling records in 1990, but pretty damn cool. What was it the B-side of? Was it the B-side of? I thought it was Inner Sandman. 
Oh, you know what that was from? You know what it was from? So Stone Cold Crazy might have been reissued later on Enter Sandman or one of those. So there was an Atlantic Records 40th anniversary album that had a bunch of covers. Yeah, because it was released. They won the Grammy of it before the Black album was released. And that's the reason there was like, so honestly, still, this is before they are famous Metallica. They're still not famous Metallica. But like, because it was on Atlantic Records, not their label, because it was on that album that had a lot of, honestly, like that record, like all, you know, every band at one point, Zeppelin, Queen, I mean, they had the biggest bands in the world. They, everybody covered their stuff. So it was a pretty big deal. That was um, like six months before they were the Metallica we know now. It was, yeah, it was close, sure. but they weren't there. I, I think they played it and might have played it in Russia. They definitely played it occasionally live, including Digit Perch. Yeah, yeah, it's it's on. I think it's on both the Binge and Purge, uh, Black Album tours, Black Album shows. Uh, then we go into So What, which, wow, I gotta close that one down for when the kids around. You cannot play this around the kids. No, maybe even not even maybe not even the wife actually. It's it's kind of like when uh, I was telling her about the my my copy of Sex Packets by Digital Underground showing up. Yes, and I said it's not appropriate for children, and my wife looks at me knowing that the Humpty Dance is one of my karaoke jams. And I go, okay, fine. It's really not appropriate for, for adults either. And my kid looks at me. Well, then why the hell did you buy it? Because the Humpty Dance is my chance. But you the hump. You have to. Um, rest in peace, Chuck. Um, yeah, so what is great, they used to open with it. People didn't know what it was, uh, which was great to look around. Either you knew and you sang along or you didn't know and you had that. But people didn't know what it was. And, you know, they like to kind of like, I think Lars especially needed to kind of play his way into shape, like warm up with the cover kind of live, which is kind of shameful considering what a great world-class drummer he was legitimately at one time, obviously not for a long time, but yeah. Um, But it's a great cover and it definitely put money in their pockets. Uh, Slayer has also covered Anti-Nowhere League. COC has covered Anti-Nowhere League. So they, if you don't know that band, very crass, excellent hardcore punk from the early 80s in England. And you also learn geography because of this song, because I've been to Brighton, I've been to Eastport, you know, yada, 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 so what? So like, I, I, I love songs with lists, as you know. I, I don't know that we can say that there is any, uh, okay, moving on. Uh, I love that song, <clears throat> by the way. Um, <clears throat> uh, we move on to Killing Time by Sweet Savage. That's another one of those songs that has left no impression on me. No, killing uh, time! That's all I remember. Yeah, it's a fun track. Vivian Campbell was in that, wrote that song for, later with Dio and then Def Leppard. So um, that's as cool as it gets for that track for me. It is. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of there. It's a fun track. They never, I don't think they've ever played it live that I know of. Maybe. Let maybe. me check that it's listed on here. Uh, uh, Killing Time was on the Unforgiven single for the record. Uh, Another Irish I, I, I believe you're right. They've never played it live. Um, no, no, it has been performed live. Free Speech, Lover Man, Astronomy, The More I See have never been performed live. I, I would like imagine that Killing shot. Time was probably played like on the MTV special. Oh, oh yeah, maybe. That we haven't even mentioned because why, why bother? Why bother? Um, and then closing things out with their uh, tribute to Lemmy as Motor Headache or the Lemmys for Lemmys, was it his 50th birthday? 50th. 
um, in in like the early nineties, and they came to the whiskey mid nineties, mid nineties, and they did yeah. either was it the rainbow or the whiskey? Where they the, I think it was the whiskey. <clears throat> the rainbow is actually Lemmy's bar, but I think they performed at the whiskey because I had better stage and um, probably the better place for live shows. Um, the rainbow is really just a bar and not a venue for shows really um so yeah let's talk about these none of these are the most famous uh number one motorhead cover that everybody would do which is ace of spades which is fine uh you know that uh lars and james are massive motorhead fans especially lars grew up are you aware ace of spades was played that night was it? I didn't know. With Lemmy yeah, was singing. Badly? Oh, was it? Okay. I didn't yes. Know. I had a, a bootleg called Mind the Bollocks, uh-huh. which I only purchased because it had the Antarctica show. Uh, oh, cool. Portions of the Antarctica show had the Kill Ride medley, which has never been officially released, I might add. That's a shame. It is a shame. And it had Two by Four and Devil's Dance. That was why I spent the 30 bucks on that for three stupid songs. And Tom Arnold was actually the MC that night. That's crazy. It doesn't make any sense on any level. And wasn't he canceled? Was he canceled, I think, in Hollywood? uh, I would care if I liked anything he's ever done. But as it is now, I have no strong feelings. There it is. And now, if he was canceled for something awful, then I would have strong feelings about that. But other other than that. But yes, he he was the MC that night, and Lemmy came out and did Ace of Spades with them. Very well, very. I well. also don't recommend it because you've heard. I'm sorry, the Motorhead songs on this album are just crap. Really, I hate them. Oh, uh, you know. So I again, I think Taken is what they are. Damage Case is fun. Overkill is one of the greatest Motorhead songs. They do, you know. A decent job of it. I think they were pretty drunk at the time. Uh, Stone Dead Forever uh, is good. Too Late, Too Late is okay. And this is also like the classic uh, Filthy Phil, Fast Eddie, and Lemmy lineup. So this is like very important to Lars, right? This is like the formative Lars, teenage Lars, loved this version of this band. I think he was, was he the president of a Motorhead fan club in Denmark or some shit when he was 14? Probably. I mean, well, when he wasn't playing tennis in his little, little sweatpants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I don't like any of these songs. And when I listen to it on vinyl, that's where I stop. That's fair. I'm going to just sum up the Garage Inc. experience quickly by saying uh, I had a very personal experience surrounding this album. You can go to my YouTube and check out the video. Maybe you will link it in the description of this pod. I can do that. Uh, Send me that link. With, in my, my series, War Stories with Keithy, where I got to meet Metallica at the signing for Garaging in New York City. They signed my bass, which I had my first bass, which I never played again, was covered with Metallica stickers and one COC sticker and a, and a suicidal sticker. And I had a run-in with James. You can hear about it in the video. But it was a pretty amazing thing that they did and another cat. And so it was a pretty amazing signing. It was an amazing experience. Um, my run in with James, notwithstanding. Um, and then literally uh, less than a month later, they put out real, real, hang on, real quick. I want to talk about my, my relationship. Uh, oh, the ahead. biggest thing for me is the garage days re revisited album, because that was such a big 
moment in my formative time for music because that I think that was something that instilled in me the 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 desire to seek out the undiscovered, to seek out the rare, to seek out the things that not everybody knew. Because even Metallica fans at that time didn't really know that album. And listening to, because there's what, about four Jason Newstead bass solos on that record, listening to that with my best friend at the time. And every time I listen, that comes up when I, when I put the album on, it takes me back to that basement with my best friend in, in the 90s. That's awesome. Yeah, I love the covers. I love the original Garage Days. I love everything about this thing. It was very expensive when it came out on CD, brand new, by the way. Um, I don't remember what I spent. I don't remember what I paid I for. It was like but I know 40 I bucks, and I don't bought it. Not here. I, I know it wasn't that here. Okay, it was quite expensive, what I considered expensive at the time. And then... St. Louis um, is cheaper. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, it was great, and they did a mini tour with... Uh, a Metallica cover band opening and playing all the modern Metallica songs while they played covers. That is, which is hysterical. It is pretty funny considering now their lawyers are suing cover bands. Um, mm. And then less than a month later, they put out the DVD coming stunts, which was the load reload world tour kind of video. No, it was, VHS. it was the load. It was the load tour filmed in Dallas. Right. Okay. But it did have a version, an early version of fuel. Yes. And they did have the uh, very, I don't want to spoil it in case it ever comes out again as re-released, but it was at the time a very visually stunning show. It was. Um, was, That was was the first time they played in the round. Yep. Yep. I I was at that tour. That was the first tour I saw Metallica on. And that was the first time Metallica really delved into, which they used to greater effect later, like in Through the Never, that was the first time they really delved into theatrics on stage. That's true, except for the explosions of one, uh, which are ever present ever since they you know, made some money. But uh, you're right. It really was kind of the, the Metallica we see now with drones and the Metallica we see now with these giant video screens and the giant Metallica balloons. That was the it was also a of all. really cool stage. It was a very cool stage. And then they blew up the stage at the end of the show. And then they went. Um, to, and then they went to the second little stage, pretending like everything was destroyed. That was the theatrics part, where they yeah. were they were acting. Genius they covers was genius. A little light bulb. And I don't know what the reload stage looked like because I saw them at the shed, which only has the shed stage. So, but yeah, cunning stunts. I bought that. It was it was a two DVD set, which seems stupid because you can get three hours on a DVD, but here we are show was not four hours it was okay it wasn't it was okay yeah fair enough it's for what it is it's pretty cool i wouldn't be angry if they put it back out again on dvd i'm sure it came out on dvd but if it ever reappeared again as a live album or blu-ray i wouldn't be mad at it Um, if it came out as a live album like if i could buy that on vinyl i would totally buy a copy of that i would definitely buy it Um, blu-ray and probably not Fair enough. Um, and so into 99, they continue to tour, right? They're not writing music really at this point. They're just touring. And who had the idea to do s and I have no idea. Do you think it was Lars? It's pretty pretentious. Uh, I, I could definitely see Lars and Kirk smoking pot, snorting Coke, going, you know what we need to do? 
I, I yeah, yeah, because there's no way in hell James came up with that. So the story, according to Wikipedia, which is not a good source, and I this is legitimate. It's well known that Cliff was a big fan. Also, he was a classically trained musician, and he was a fan of classical music. And Cliff is the person who pushed to get strings on Fade to Black, to get you know like, and and it was Michael Kamen, rest in peace. Before you know who. Uh, at this time, during SNM, Michael came in as a scorer of movie soundtracks like *Lethal Weapon* series, big action movie blockbusters, and things like that. Big, big epic movies. He was a conductor and a classical composer, and he's from the Bay Area, I think, or lived there and knew those guys also. So, like, they had the idea, like, oh, you know, we worked with Kamen before, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was. Let's go get him on this SNM. Eight. It was eight. I'm talking about Ride the Lightning to SNM is like 15 years. But Michael Kamen was on Nothing Else Matters. Oh, yeah, okay. That too. But I'm saying like he also had worked with them earlier. He was, I didn't know he was on Ride the Lightning. Yeah, Ride the Lightning and Master. Fair enough. Um, Okay, cool. Yeah, and there's a, I don't like SNM. I have never made any bones about not liking this album. I disliked it so much. I almost didn't even consider SNM two, right? Uh, although, let me say SNM two is pretty pretty much flawless. You're not okay. So I got to keep talking. Oh, sorry, not talking. distracted um, for a second. I apologize. No, it's, it's um, the biggest issue I have with this album. Well, I have many issues with this album, <laughs> and I, I don't think we need to go track by track on it because neither one of us is really a fan. Um, no, but we will we'll talk about those two singles, those two. We'll talk songs. about those. Um, this is the debut of the new James Hetfield singing voice. And he just never stopped doing it where he went a little bit higher all the time. Mm. And I would much prefer the little slightly deeper, more gravelly James. Um, Michael Kamen, who is a goddamn genius really didn't know what to do on this record agree fumbled completely actually completely I would fumbled say. It. I, I would say 90 percent of the time when they're when the symphony is playing with metallica they're playing against metallica accurate uh, they're they, overplaying badly the whole correct. symphony is overplaying the entire time no space no correct it's it's not they're not complimenting metallica they're competing with metallica correct and, and i'm gonna say this so like i am just like uh lulu should have been brilliant and for me i am the person this album was made for i own the pink floyd symphony records i love uh nights in white satin i let moody blues i love deep purple in rock in concerto for group and orchestra, which has influenced uh, Lars, apparently. I love those records. I love, yes, the symphonic. Yes, I love all these things. I'm in classically, I was a classically trained musician myself. I went to music school. I know music theory or used to. And this is a record that should have been for me. That said, I've been to so much. I have so much composing history and so many performances and so much classical music drilled into me. You can always spot a trial. You can always spot a forgery. And I think the mistake here is they just handed their songs. They might have even handed the set list to Cayman and said, score this, which is the mistake they didn't make on the new one recently. Mm. They collaborated with that artist, Tishman, and uh, 
uh, I'm sorry, Tilson Thomas, and they really worked together. They gave him notes. They were like this, not that when they did the songs and they did some songs over again, not the same way, different arrangements. Right. And it showed. The problem is the orchestra is badly overplaying here. And again, listen, these are people who work hard. I love classical music and classical musicians. I love opera, which I sang a lot of as a kid, and chamber music. These are hardworking people. This I know people that love this album, love it. It just doesn't, it didn't do to me what they wanted. What right. they were going for, it didn't achieve. If we're throwing out our, you know, our street cred, you know, I go to the symphony orchestra pretty frequently. I've seen Ben Folds play with the symphony twice. I have been a season ticket holder to the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra, one of the oldest philharmonic orchestras in the entire goddamn country. I am also one of those people, one of the people that this album was written and designed for. It was just a screw up. Apart from all the other flaws I already pointed out, Lars gets lost half the time. So I feel like the rehearsal was them listening to these dudes play along to their songs on CDs. Because they were lost. Yeah. It's, it's a poor it, performance on both sides. Yeah, James didn't sing very well on this. I agree with you about the singing thing. I think also, like, he might have been partying too much at this time. Like, the performances are not that great, considering how great we just talked about him on the covers. Right. And even live at this time, he was right. so good. And then just, like, his performance is bad on here. Um, and interestingly enough, his performance is really good on SNM two, and he was suffering pretty badly at yeah, that time. Every SNM two is an amazing, amazing album. Yeah, considering he went to rehab like two weeks later. Uh, Especially considering. So let's talk about three other things, and then we can put a pin on this decade of Metallica. Unless you know you want to rap about Napster and I Disappear, which I do, but you don't. Um, Ecstasy of Gold gets its recorded debut here. Is it on Binge? It's on Binge and Purge. But like they performed Ecstasy of Gold. Yeah. Uh, Morricone here with the orchestra. It is beautiful. So it's not like them coming on stage while it's being played. It's not them borrowing Ecstasy of Gold to the beginning of Faith of Black with the, the uh, strumming guitar parts. This is them. This is the orchestra playing Ecstasy of Gold with Metallica. And it is... Fabulous. I love, first of all, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, my favorite Western. I don't really like uh, the, the actor anymore because of his issues, but like, I love that movie. Is that what that movie set. it's from? It's from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I have, the I, have seen, I have seen very few spaghetti Westerns, but I have seen yeah. most of the samurai movies they're taken from. That's the, yeah, of course. That's the, yeah, of course. It's, yeah, that's the one you should see if you see any of them. And um, the song is brilliant. And then they go into Call of Cthulhu. Or Cthulhu, if you're a fucking Lovecraftist and you're going to pick on me about my pronunciation, but like never perform live, I think, until that moment. Um, because, you know, that's really Dave's song, right? It's so, it's such a Dave track, the, the modalities and the playing, the riffs. It's such a Dave song. Um, and it's beautifully done, right? So I, just, I will, I, I don't want to like totally bash this thing and say it's like unlistenable. It's not unlistenable. It's just not. I would have done it differently. I think they I find it good songs. They pick good songs. They didn't. It's not the songs are the problem. The pro the, the songs weren't the problem. The problem was the follow through. Yeah, it's for a sure. great. It's a great idea. Yeah. They they chose probably the absolute most correct set list. But when Kiss puts out a better symphonic live album than you, you really screwed the fuck up. Shameful, shameful. Yeah. Um. 
Let's also not forget to talk about no, no Leaf Clover and Minus Human. I don't remember Minus Human. I still don't, yeah. but No it's Leaf Clover. It's very good. Yeah, No it, Leaf Clover was a single and everybody knows amazing. it. In hindsight, I still don't love the vocals. Um, we'll just talk about this for one second, because again, I think it's you know, the new the James of, vocals. That's why you well, it's not just them. the new James vocals. It's a combination of things. So most music vocal melodies are made simple on purpose because that's what makes them catchy because everyone can sing along. Most music, pop music, R&B, rock music, very little tonality very little range, very little choice of notes in a melody because if you keep it simple, it's easy to follow. Queen is a rare exception. Yes, is a, a rare exception. You know, Bozzy for Black Sabbath is like one, three, four, five, back down again with sometimes a two in the scale because like it's supposed to be heavy and evil, the triad, right? It's supposed to be simple and brooding. So I know that James was trying to stretch out creatively and try to be like, I've been singing the same way now for 10 years. And I'm going to try to do this like octave thing that has never worked for him almost. This like singing up to an octave. He does like a glissando, like a piano slide. You felt your pinky along the piano all the way up, all the way up to a note. He's never been good at it. And it comes to be that note, that like little bar, that measure in the chorus is like nails on a chalkboard to me. I hate it. Otherwise marring what is actually a pretty good song with great lyrics. It's pretty okay. heavy. It's pretty heavy. And the symphony nailed it. That's actually one of the tracks the symphony's really good on. Like they got that marchy, right. marchy uh, stormtroopers, uh, the Emperor's March theme song. Imperial, there that's definitely the Imperial March. March. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a shame that his that one vocal thing really turns me off. And then he did it all over all over uh, Saint Anger, which is horrible. Glad we're not going to get that far. And then um, minus human, which you don't remember, I did not also remember at all. And I listened back <laughs> to it to get ready for this, and I was like, "This is not a bad song." It's a shame that more people don't remember it and they're not still playing it because it's actually and even. No Leaf Clover, I don't want to hear it like with that vocal, but like it's a pretty good song. Like it's, a, it's not a, you know, No Leaf Clover was a single. Minus they, You is a pretty good song. They have played No Leaf Clover here and there. Yeah. God, I want to say it was released on one of the 1500 live albums they put out. <laughs> I don't even know if those count in the official canon. I mean, mm -hmm. I'll buy every one that I can get my damn fingers on that has enough difference in songs. I didn't buy Live at Vans because it was too close to Live at Webster. But anyway, but, you know, then we go into Napster and, you know, just real quick, I'll, I'll just say this about Napster. Lars was right. Lars saw 100%. this in a way that I did not see it. And yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. So Napster's a year later. So they close out the 90s in tremendous fashion and actually their most successful decade. I'm not talking about the decade they formed or how groundbreaking those early albums are, but this was the decade. They did. Every, they just went balls out for ten years. They they became hugely famous. They were able to do things no band has done since. No band has had a run like this. I'm going to argue since maybe Corn. No band has had it for uh, ten years like this in a long time. Um, in, in I terms don't think of anybody music. ever will. Probably not. Um, and so, you know, they did leave on a high note. Right at the end of '99. 
I disappear leaks to torrents. And this is the reason they got into the Napster thing in the first place. So I disappear was the lead song of Mission Impossible. Yeah. Three. 17. Who cares? Oh, I kind of like those movies, even though Mission Impossible 2. And it's not a good song. Let's just discuss the fact that it's kind of a, a discount corrosion conformity ripoff badly done. It it feels like something it feels like the way it was written the way Kiss writes songs <clears throat> on the way into the studio. <laughs> in the car. Yeah, in the on car the way, yeah. on the way to the studio. They eating a hot dog. Hey, you know what could go good right in that song? Hey, wow, hey, wow, hey. wow. Terrible. Wow. Yeah, Terrible. It, it doesn't it's not no somebody, Bob Rock, should have told them, not this one. You have other songs somewhere. You can make another song in five minutes. Don't do this. Or do a cover. Um, I, I don't even hate the chorus. I mean, the chorus is not bad. And that's actually a chorus. He sings really high, but he me- he measures it the whole way. So, like, I like the cadence. That dee 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 dee. Like, that's not terrible. Right? Not terrible. The song like, is The rest not- of the song is lame as shit. The, the best way I can describe that song is not terrible. It's pretty terrible. Um, I, I know it's, it's, it's not, not great. It's, it's not, not terrible. Terrible. Yeah, it's more it's right. More it's it's not bad enough to really hate, and it's yeah. not good enough to really love, which makes it even worse than Escape. Right. And then they gave Hetfield the car in the video, the '67 Camaro, because Hetfield asked for the car and they gave it to him. Because um, <laughs> you know what? You know what he needs. Free anything when yeah, he exactly. has millions of us. And then he sold it on eBay. Oh, nice. Anyway, that's really cool. Um, Actually, pretty funny. Um, So this is what sparked the Napster thing, just so people know. The song was leaked by somebody close to them, had uh, the master, and leaked it. And this is how they, they didn't know what it was. They didn't know. They wouldn't have never paid attention to this thing. And the song came out, and their managers came to them and said, listen, we have a situation. Our song leaked. And the leaks happened. Leaks used to happen. Music, you know, for what we do now, just for those listening, really quick, we'll end on close to this. What we do now, people send us music before an album comes out to review and listen to and write a review before it comes out, before the public has it. There are legal uh, guards in place that if you leak music, you will be legally responsible and could be sued for monetary uh, judgments if you leak this music. There have been some terrible leaks of important albums. I had Um, somebody who wrote for me who leaked a song. Horrible, horrible. I've been accused of leaking the song. I would never leak the song. I've been accused of leaking an album by a band that did not like a review I wrote them. And fuck them forever. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, you didn't like the review. And I was like, my bosses at this website didn't question the fact that they were angry at the review. They were like, how could you leak this thing? And I was like, I will get on the fucking train right now to New York with my laptop and you can do a forensic dive on my laptop and then eat my asshole. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so... Yep, the Browning. Fuck you forever. I'm just going to go there. Anyway, um, fuck that band. Anywho, um, yeah, we're just making no friends on this podcast today. <laughs> uh, we're living down to every prediction you have made for this podcast at the beginning of every episode. Um, but they, I'm not even know, drunk I know, this time. I, I know they started the next decade off with Napster and a lot of blowback and then St. Anger and then some kind of monster. But like, really go back as we get to the 30th anniversary of the Black Album later this month uh, and the 30th anniversary edition next month, really give them their due. I know it's very common and 
you know, they got popular and they changed and people didn't like it and they don't like them anymore. And they don't like guys with money. So they don't like these guys anymore, but really sit back and think about how they put this entire genre on their shoulders for a while. And like, again, a kid that's getting into the black album today is going to discover merciful fate from that garage ink record, or they're going to discover misfits. or they going to discover, you know, killing joke, which is amazing and, and helps those bands. So, like, I think, you know, regardless of how you feel about Metallica, it's hard to argue with their importance. And I think that's the, the gist of these little chin wags and these series of pods we're going to do, however long they go, because uh, I could the, do this forever. I could, too. The thing about this is when Metallica got popular, it's like Led Zeppelin getting popular. The difference is the people who say, oh, I hate the later Led Zeppelin. It doesn't fucking matter now because they didn't live through that. Right, you know, they Led Zeppelin was almost better than early Led Zeppelin, and also Led Zeppelin was much more critically hated by the critics than Metallica. Metallica oh, was respected, even if they were not known, they were respected in their own scene. They were respected. Uh, I mean, Billboard used to write about them before they were famous, which is why they became kind of a buzz band in the industry. And then the Black Album got critical reviews that were all positive. Most of Load was positive. Most some of Reload was considered positive. And, uh, you know, they're much more, almost every Zeppelin record. Well, and that is going to also, that's going to also bleed into somebody's hatred of it because critics are reviled by the average music fan, which I don't get. Sorry, you hate me. I love you. But yeah, and it it is what it is, but that it's cool to hate the critics. I mean, we've all seen Almost Famous and love that movie. I might watch it tonight, but it, it, it be, you know, Led Zeppelin, their best, in my opinion, in and in their opinion, their best output was in the middle. Metallica's best output, probably in the middle. It, it's normal. It, that's the normal arc yeah. of a band. But you don't see anybody going, oh, fuck, sticks, man. Mr. Roboto sucked, and I haven't listened to anything they've done since then. Nobody Actually, says that. Sail away, that sucks, because Roboto is the shit. I, um, but, it's kind of very. It's funny that you mentioned Sticks because there's a, a petition that was just launched to get them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because Tommy no. Shaw just gave an interview where he said, "I don't care that we're not in the Hall of Fame," which he totally does. Um, again, just does. like everything else, just like everything else, I don't care about Halls of Fame, but realistically, just like the Sports Halls of Fame, it's either an automatic lock or it's a no. There's no. There's not like Agreed. I have to. I have to. If I have to. I'm not saying that I can't make a case. I can make a case why Thin Lizzy needs to be in. I can, I can make a case why I can make a case why certain bands, certain metal bands, should be in and probably won't be. But Sticks like is a, generally Sticks is, speaking, I love no, Sticks. No. Sticks no, is a hard no for me. No, Sticks no. Ario Speedwagon no. No, like no, just no. Hard no. Um, no, just no. Um, they're cool. They serve a purpose. They were good bands. Um, real quick, so, we have gone long. And yeah, I, we as I love, but we've gone long. Yeah, it's late. Do we have anything we need to finish up on with the, with on Metallica and not this maybe is, Sticks or Thin Lizzy? Yeah, this is the final as the final word on Metallica in the nineties. Uh, you know, good job Metallica. I think in retrospect, maybe people were thrown off by all the curves and twists and turns, but probably the nineties enable them to continue to where they are now like they're still a band because they were able to flex and grow and stretch even if we didn't like all the things lover man and most of load and reload you have and the, the execution on snm not the idea 
So, I mean, not everything works. Not everything, you throw it at spaghetti at the wall. It doesn't always stick when it's not ready. But a lot of this shit is the reason they're here now. And they did a great job. I would definitely agree with that. And I would also say, well done, Metallica. You made all the money and did all the things. Which, you know, and, and I only mean that half jokingly. I, I like the 90s more than your average person while hating the Black Album and s and I like I like two out of five things if you can. I love I love the black album and I would put the black album on par with most that's of the fine. That's stuff. fine. That's, that's fine. Me. That's fine. And but <clears throat> in the 90s, they were able to become the band they wanted to be at that moment. And that freedom, that creative freedom is something that will always lead someone to the place they want to be. And artistic expression should be an expression of self at that moment. Johnny Resnick, whom I hate, once said in a commercial that when you write an album, it's a collection of your feelings and your moments in time. That's why it's called an album of music. He was right while being wrong. That's not why it's called an album. But that's besides the point. It was called an album because they didn't have anything that could hold a full album's worth of material on a disc. So it came in like a photo album of records. But he was still right. And so we have those snapshots of who these people were at that time, at their best, professionally speaking, while simultaneously, personally at their worst, which creates for an interesting dichotomy and an interesting way of looking back at what this band accomplished and what they did. And whether or not you love everything they do, which I don't know if anybody does, or hate everything they do, which many people do, they are still the most important band of my generation, of Generation X, and always will be. Well done, sir. Well, and That's done. all I have you're to much say. More, you're much more eloquent than I. Good job on Metallica, Iron Maiden, next week, my brother. We will start. The piano years. Okay, we're going to go that way. And this is the Glacier Musical Podcast. It doesn't play in Peoria.